0: Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now... Here's Pastor Mark.
1: Well, as we open up episode 56 of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, I want to get you, give you some perspectives, have you to think about a few things. Uh, of late, I have actually the last few years, but I've had a little more time and uh, in the process of time, I've watched some movies. I never was a big movie fan, didn't go to the movies all that much, missed a lot of them that uh, might've been significant. But anyway, been watching those sometimes with my wife, Pam, sometimes just uh, to, uh, to chill out a little bit. But one of the things I enjoy about movies is not so much the subject of the movies, but, but dating them. And I've noticed that you can use telephones to figure out when a movie was made for example if you're watching an Elvis Presley movie or or something with uh, some of the for sure a black and white uh, you might notice that the telephones are party lines I remember days early on <laughs> that there were party lines but uh, that dates it and then then you go to some other movies and they have brightly covered colored phones orange we used to have an orange phone and a turquoise phone and a pink phone and all of that so and there was a time frame when there were a a lot of colorful landline phones. But then you begin to see the cellular phones. And at first, there's those huge mega mobile phones that you just about, you sat on your shoulder and it was like a brick. Uh, and you can date movies by those phones. And then, of course, the flip phones. Some of you listening probably still have a flip phone. Uh, but the flip phones came along. And then now, of course, we have cell phones and smartphones of all different varieties. And as my wife does, you can talk to your watch and have an iWatch or some of those other apparatuses. All I'm saying is that in a perspective, the phones give us an opportunity to date when a movie was and get put it in a little bit of a context. Well, that's what we're going to do today with the Bible. Sometimes we look at specific topics within the Bible. Sometimes we look at the structure of the Bible. Today we're going to look at the context of the Bible a little bit as the topic is, uh, where where do we get the New Testament? Can we trust the New Testament? So uh, I'm going to give you some some dates and some times and you can sort of put those like the telephone. uh, You can put them in perspective today. It is an amazing book as we talk about the New Testament in particular. Within 40 years of the death of Jesus, Jesus died. And I'm going to give you approximate dates. I always do that. You, there'll be criticisms or, or different people that will, might disagree through uh, scholarly efforts. And that's okay. I'm not trying to get specific. I'm trying to get approximate just so you can get uh, an idea of things for a simple understanding of the Bible. So, uh, if you would, 40 years of perspective since the death of Jesus from 30 AD, which is approximately when he died, to 70 AD. 40 years, a generation, a biblical generation. In those 40 years, almost the entire New Testament was written. the Old Testament, 1,600 years, 15 to 1,600 years, but the New Testament about forty years, and the New Testament is is completed. The book of Revelation is sort of an outlier because it was the last book written and probably written sometime around the 80s or even the late uh, the mid 90s. But uh, other than that, all of the New Testament was was written. It was also known. It was accepted, and it was being passed along from church to church and culture to culture. Forty years. That's not a a long time. Let me give you some more perspectives uh, from American life. If you have an iPhone today, just sticking with the telephone, the iPhone has been out 14 years. It's an old and dated invention. That's why they keep coming up with new versions thereof. But the iPhone's been in existence for 14 years. 9-11? That was 20 years ago when the Twin Towers fell. Some of you might be old enough to remember JFK assassination. That was almost 60 years ago, World War II, 80 years ago. So when we tar- start talking about the Bible and put some things in perspective, uh, the New Testament, we're talking about 40 plus years, not a long period of time. So as we think about our subject today, the setup of the Bible, You might just take a moment and if you have a Bible, if you're not driving down the road and you can open up a Bible, you might look at it because I'm going to allude to a few things that are in the Bible that aren't of God. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Doesn't mean they're bad. Just simply we need to understand what is Holy Scripture, God breathed, and some other things that are simply there as tools to help us. For example, the chapter headings. I use uh, New International Version, sometimes I use New American Standard, but uh, as you go through the Bibles, uh, the different Bible types or or translations, you'll notice often chapter headings. For example, in my Bible, in Matthew chapter 5, there's a heading that says Beatitudes. Well, that's not in the original text. That, that was added to help us understand that these next verses are what we commonly call the Beatitudes. Uh, there's the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, the Shepherd psalms, which might be Psalms 23, in the New Testament would be John 10. So we have these chapter headings that are there to help us and to define things for us, but they are not necessarily Scripture. Now let's move to something even more important, and that is chapter and verse. When you think about your Bible and we think about John 3.16, I remember sometimes there was a a, a period of time when people would be going to football games and the NFL and they'd have this uh, placard they'd hold up, uh, read John 3.16. Well, that wasn't happening at the Roman Gladiator Games uh, back in 200 A.D. Because there was no John 3.16. There was the Gospel of John and it was one book. So where do we get the chapters and verses? Well, let's talk about the chapters for a second. They were added around uh, 1227 A.D., uh, 1,227 years after the birth of Christ. They were added to the uh, New Testament and ultimately to the Bible by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Langdon. He was the Archbishop, Archbishop in Canterbury, England. And just to make it easier to find and reference things, he added the chapters. A great addition. Not of God, not Holy Scripture, but the chapters certainly help us to find John. Then, the verses. And most of the credit for the verses goes to a French scholar by the name of Robert S. or sometimes known as Robertus Stephanus, uh, which would be an English variation of that. But the same gentleman. And he created a verse numbering system. He plugged it into his 1551 Greek New Testament, 1551 AD. Uh, He wrote a New Testament or translated a New Testament in Greek. And so he added these verses. Later on, he produced a Latin Vulgate, which was the entire Bible. And he continued this numbering system through the entire text of the Scripture. So... The chapters and the verses were added for our convenience, but they are not part of the original autograph or the original work of God. Helpful, good stuff. Now, there are some times when you might notice the chapters don't seem to always flow as we think they should. Uh, they understand this, that uh, they were placed there by men. So the, they, the chapters are not holy, but they are certainly helpful. So today as we think about perspectives, and and I hope this is interesting to you simply because it is important to understand the context. How can we trust the Bible, in fact, and the New Testament in specific? what we're going to look at today is is some vocabulary terms. I'm sure you hate those. You hated them in school. You hate them now, maybe. But just a couple of words we need to understand, and then some dates. And then we're going to talk about who put the New Testament together and why we can trust it. So I hope this is helpful for you today. I think it'll be informational. Uh, for me, it's important because it gives solidity to the things that I'm reading. It helps me realize that this, this book, this Bible, and particularly this New Testament, is so trustworthy, and it is so uh, valid that I I don't have to take a second seat to anyone at any university when we start talking about books and the authenticity of them. So here we go. We're going to talk about some vocabulary terms, two terms in particular. One of them is a term known as canon, C-A-N-O-N. Now, what does that mean? Well, I know it's a type of a camera that's out there, and it's a good camera, by the way. But canon uh, means an accepted standard. So if I said that something measured 8 inches, well, you would know exactly what 8 inches were because the inch is a canon. It is a standard accepted form. Or if I say I weigh 175 pounds, you would also understand that because pounds are an accepted canon or form. Today, the temperature might be 60 degrees. There's another canon or standard that is universally accepted across the culture, even across the world. Well, the New Testament, canon, is accepted uh, across the world. It contains 27 books. We'll touch more on those in a minute. Uh, But that's what canon means. It's a standard. It's accepted. It's understood by everyone. The second vocabulary term is autographs. When we talk about autographs, we know that people sign their name. That's an autograph. But as we talk about autograph in regard to the Scripture, we're talking about the personal writing of the author. Now we do not have any of the original autographs of any of the New Testament or Old Testament authors. We don't have anything written by Matthew, nothing written by Paul that we know of, nothing written by St. Peter. Uh, Those autographs have disappeared through the last 2,000 years. An autograph is something that was personally written by the author. Now you may say, well that makes the Bible less dependable. Well let's do some comparison and again get some perspectives. William Shakespeare wrote 39 plays around 1600 about 500 years ago. Not all that long ago. You've had to read them. You know about them. Romeo and Juliet. Here we go. Hamlet. All of that. Do you realize that there are no existing autographs of Shakespeare as far as the plays with one possible exception? And that's called the Book of Thomas More. And that's in a museum in Washington, D.C. And it might be an original writing of Shakespeare. We only have six copies of his signature that perhaps came from William Shakespeare, and yet he's famous, and he's accepted, and and, uh, is a canon. Everybody understands Shakespeare's writings, but we don't have his autographs. So, as I'm speaking here, when we talk about the New Testament, we talk about the canon being the standard, we also understand that even though we don't have the writings, the original writing of the Gospel of Mark, for example, uh, we have something acceptable that has been accepted, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but when we compare it to some of the things that the world accepts, for example, Shakespeare, the Bible is on incredibly solid ground compared to any other book of antiquity, meaning in the last uh, 4,000 years, even in the last 400 years, as we think about Shakespeare. So <clears throat> we need to apply the same standard to the Bible that we apply to every other book in the same context. So here we go. Let's, let's, we've talked about some vocabulary terms. Let's, let's move to some time frames. I like time frames. They help me to understand and to put the Bible into uh, uh, bite-sized pieces and also to to understand the flow of the Scripture as it moves from beginning to end. So let's get these time frames established. Again, these are somewhat approximate. Jesus died 30 A.D. We're confident of that. The temple was destroyed. The temple that Jesus uh, taught in and stood in front of and turned the money changer's tables over, that temple, no doubt about it, was destroyed in 70 A.D. Interestingly, in the scripture, we have no reference of the temple being destroyed. So we're on pretty solid ground. If the temple had been destroyed, somebody would have probably referenced that, but nobody seems to in the Gospels or certainly even in the the books of Paul on through the New Testament. So uh, a 40-year period of time from the death of Jesus on the cross around 30 AD to the temple being destroyed by Titus, the Roman uh, uh, soldier, uh, general, 70 AD. So a 40-year period of time. So those are kind of our bookends. Also, when we think about time frames, let's understand a little more context. Uh, The Bible gives us a first-hand account of the things uh, that we see in the New Testament. Everybody that wrote a book in the New Testament, with the exception of Luke, saw Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Some of them were his disciples. Matthew and John were his disciples. They, They traveled with him. Mark was not a disciple, but it was probably his house that where we find the upper room, the Last Supper, and also the coming of Pentecost he is probably the young man in the Garden of Gethsemane that is runs out of his clothes as a Roman soldier reach out and grabs his cloak and he runs off the first streaker for Jesus naked into the night. That's probably John Mark, the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So Mark was there and very involved uh, in all probability in the life of Jesus. The Apostle, Paul uh, had a first-hand encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus, had a conversation, saw him. Certainly Simon Peter, who wrote First and Second Peter. Uh, so we have uh, all of these people, including uh, James and Jude, who grew up with Jesus. They were half-brothers of Christ. They saw him uh, from from the beginning of their life to the end of their life, or till the end of his life, I should say. So, all of the authors, with the exception of Luke, and and I love Luke. Uh, Luke might have been a Gentile, probably was, perhaps the only non-Jewish author in the Bible, but Luke was a historian, and he was a doctor, and he combines all those things together. The reason the Holy Spirit uses him to write this one of the four Gospels, I think, is to document. And he says right from the very beginning, his purpose is to set aside a historical account of the life of Christ. So we have all these realities of the life of Jesus. We also understand the visibility of Jesus. If if the New Testament was false, It would have been so absolutely easy to disprove the writings of these 27 books. Thousands of people saw Jesus die on the cross. Thousands. Hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion and gave testimony to it. Almost everyone in Israel personally saw Jesus or had the opportunity to Jesus traveled to 18 different towns in the the region of Israel. And so he had so many times uh, that he was seen. People came to him, crowds, great crowds. uh, And he walked through the region. Uh, Incredible amount of exposure. If the gospel writers had made up lies, if they had concocted false miracles, misrepresented Jesus in any way, with all the thousands of personal encounters with Christ while he was alive during his 33-year period here on earth, easily exposed and dismissed. The Jews all saw Jesus. The Samaritans, of course, saw Jesus as he stayed quite a bit uh, there in Sychar four days and and, uh, some other places two days in, in Sychar. But the woman at the well, if you remember that story. But lots of experiences with Samaritans. Uh, The Romans saw Jesus. They, of course, put him to death. But but you have Pontius Pilate, and you certainly have uh, so many other soldiers, the Roman centurion who came to Jesus. Uh, This was not done in some isolated corner, this life of Christ. It was very cosmopolitan, very open, and uh, just out in front of everybody. The Arabs saw Jesus, and uh, they knew who he was. The poor saw Jesus. The righteous Pharisees saw Jesus. The political Romans saw Jesus. Almost everybody in the community saw Jesus during his period of time. So if his life was misrepresented in the Gospels, it could have been blown out of the water very easily in this period of time. So back to the dates for a moment. The New Testament was written in approximately 40 years, from 30 to 70 A.D., probably excluding the book of Revelation, but around 40 years for the writing of the New Testament. Our current New Testament, which is 27 books, was written... And recognized and was being quoted in churches as scripture by the time that the last apostle, John, dies around 100 AD. Now, why would I stress all these things? Well, it just gives credibility to the reality of the New Testament. Let's go to a third thing here who compiled it? Well, that's a real simple answer. Who put the 27 books together? God did. He's the author, he's the compiler, he's the proofreader, he's the editor, he's the preserver, and he is the protector of the New Testament. Nothing more precious to him than making sure that you know the good news of the gospel, and he oversaw that process from beginning to end. We sometimes have the idea that a group of scholars or pastors just sat around and they pick and chose whichever one they wanted and which ones they didn't like they threw out and burned or whatever so that they could put together a canon that they wanted or a book that they wanted. That is absolutely not true. By the time of the death of John, the last apostle, 100 A.D., the New Testament, as I've already said, was completely written it was recognized and it was being read and shared in churches throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa. Remember we don't have books. We have scrolls. And those scrolls were being passed around. The New Testament even refers to that in some of Paul's letters. Please pass this on to another churches, other church. They were being copied by hand and shared, but that they were scripture, the twenty seven books, was understood. We even read about that in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16, where Peter is writing. And he's talking about the Apostle Paul and some of the things that Paul has written. And he says, some of the things are hard to understand. Uh, the untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of Scripture. And Scripture is capitalized in most versions of the Bible. So Peter is recognizing the 13 books of Paul as Scripture God breathed, coming from the Lord, thus saith the Lord. So even in Peter's lifetime, uh, the scripture is very well known. So much of the New Testament was well known. In fact, the early church fathers, those that follow the uh, disciples and apostles from 100 to 200 uh, A.D., they quoted so much scripture in their writings and in their sermons that even if the New Testament was destroyed, we could recreate it just from their references. That's how understood and available and recognized was the scripture, the 27 books that perhaps you're holding in your hand right now. Uh, There were some religious councils, and you've probably heard about those, and they mainly happened in the 300 years period of time, 300, 400 AD. There was the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Laodicea. But their job was not to decide what the Scripture was going to be for the New Testament, which books made it, which didn't. That had already been decided before John the Apostle died. All they were doing is putting their, in a sense, good housekeeping seal of approval. There were many false books, false doctrines, false stories, uh, heretical sort of teachings that were out there, and they were coming into church and saying, and people were being told, ignorant people sometimes, this is the scripture. And so they wanted to confirm, they wanted to let everyone know that this is, in fact, the New Testament that God has given us. Let's go on for a moment to why we can trust the New Testament. I, I I like to call these the four A's of why you can trust the New Testament. In fact, what is the criteria even for a book making the New Testament? Four things. I'll begin with letter A. One, it has to be authoritative. Does it have that, thus saith the Lord? Is it God breathing? You just know it. You feel it. There's a witness there. Is it authoritative? Secondly, is there agreement with the writer? So if a, if a book is written, if Paul writes the book of Titus, or Peter writes Second Peter, or John writes First John, Does it agree with all the other books? Is there a a unity of spirit, an agreement of the writers? The third thing, is it written by apostolic authors? In other words, is it somebody who saw Jesus? And as I said earlier, other than the book of Luke, we have no reference that Luke ever saw Jesus, but everybody else had seen Jesus or had been in the area of Jesus and was very, very, very much aware of what was going on in Judea during these early biblical times, these New Testament times. Uh, Luke, uh, besides Luke, there's Mark, James, and Jude. I mentioned them. Hebrews, we really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're not sure about that, but uh, sometimes it's attributed to Paul, sometimes to Barnabas, Apollos. Uh, we're not really sure. In fact, one of the, uh, old, uh, the early church fathers says, said, we, only God knows who wrote the book of Hebrews doesn't really matter it has that thus saith the Lord we're confident it was written before the destruction of the temple because it talks about the temple so much throughout the book of Hebrews. If the temple was no longer extant, in other words, if it was a a trash heap on the ground had been burned down by Titus and his armies, which indeed it was in 70 AD, they would have referenced it, no doubt about it. It was one of the most cataclysmic and life-changing things for the Jews that their temple of uh, some thousand years uh, was laying there in ashes on the ground. So we would have known something about it. I said thousands, it's actually hundreds of years, not thousands, that the temple was in existence, the second temple. So the third A was is it apostolic? The fourth A is was it accepted by the early church? The early church understood, they saw, and and many of them in person, the events, the stories that transpired. So there was an acceptedness of the twenty-seven books of the New Testament. So, we have a really solid foundation to believe in the New Testament. We have currently around 5,800 copies of the New Testament in Greek that are not autographs, but that were written by various church leaders uh, through the early hundreds of years. By the way, we only have 20 copies of Julius Caesar's writings. Nobody questions that that Julius Caesar wrote them. We have 5,800 plus copies of the New Testament in Greek. And, and yet the New Testament is challenged over and over and over again. That's okay. That makes it stronger. But my friend, as you're listening to this podcast today, please understand that the 27 books of the New Testament are solid. And you can believe them. And they are authoritative. And they have the, the, the breath of God all over them as you read. It came through men. Yes, different men from different places. But uh, as we read through them, you see truly the heart, the voice, the mind of God, from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Now, just to close out here, I'm a little bit over, but were there some other Gospels I often hear, especially with, with the Da Vinci Code and some other uh, books or novels that are out there sort of playing with Jesus? For example, the Da Vinci Code said that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and they had children. Not true. Uh, and even Dan Brown, who wrote that book, said it's fiction. Nonetheless, He kind of made a lot of money off of it uh, and insinuated in some ways that it might have been true. Not true. There's the Gospel of Peter, written a century after Peter's death. There's the Gospel of Thomas, which was discovered in 1945 and was supposedly written 100 years after Jesus. There's the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which uh, perhaps uh, the Da Vinci Code used as part of their reference, but it transforms Mary, it was probably kind of a feminist sort of idea there. And uh, Mary is the leader of the, the band of disciples, and she leads the way, and, and she's kind of the heroine of that. There's the Gospel of Judas, written about the 4th century, uh, so 300-plus uh, years after Jesus, and it makes Judas uh, sort of a hero and not a villain. So there are other Gospels. There are certainly other books written. But, my friends, you can trust the 27 books of the New Testament. It is the most researched, resourced, Quoted, accredited, and factually reliable book in history. And it tells us of the coming and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, which is really the gospel in a nutshell. Hey, thank you for being a part today. Next week, oh, you're not going to like this. Some of you might want to bypass this. Uh, But next week, we're going to talk about the geography of the Bible. So critical to everything that God does. And he gives them this little country of Israel, uh, really, as, uh, and nobody wants Israel, but God does. And there's a reason for it, and it's his position. It's geography. So, hey, thank you for listening today. Hope this is helpful to you. Look forward to uh, seeing you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for
0: listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.